Welcome everyone to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. Amen. That's all right. That's a good way to start, right? Man, good morning. So it's an honor to be up here. I'm so thankful. You know, Dan, Dan asked me if I'd bring the message today, and of course I was excited about that, but... but I was scared a little bit. I'm not scared from like public speaking standpoint because who cares about that? You know, I look out here, it's a bunch of people that I love and care about, a bunch of people that love and care about me. It's a church family, and I mean that. Like Val and I have been here for about three years now, and we have some relationships that we've built that has just been so meaningful and impactful to us. Uh, so that's not what, what's, what's scary. But what is, 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 man, I just take the word of God so seriously, so incredibly serious. Like his word... He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, and the Word was with God, and I don't want to mess that up. You know, that's the one thing that makes me a little nervous. I don't want to mess that up. It's His precious, life-giving Word, and I fell in love with Jesus by spending time with Him and His Word. I could feel His love jumping off the pages and into my heart when I first read through the Gospels, and it's amazing. His Word is so good. And so it's because of that, like when I stand up here, know that with all sincerity, I just consider it an honor. And all I'm going to ever try to do is just share something that God taught me and trust the Holy Spirit to make sense of it. And so I just want to pray one more time real quick before service starts that Holy Spirit, we thank you for being so present here today. Please be here to help interpret what you laid on my heart to everyone so, so we can receive it in a meaningful, encouraging, and impactful way. In Jesus' name, amen. And so with that as the foundation like, it only makes sense that God laid out of my heart to, to give a message about his word. And it's the parable found in Mark chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open it. If you uh, have a phone pulled up on your phone, I think we're going to have it on the slides. I use the NIV. So we'll read it together. We'll start verse 1 through 8, and then we'll finish with 13 through 20. So again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on a lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. A little while later, Jesus was alone with his disciples and a few others, and they asked him about this parable, and he explained it, and that's verse 13 through 20, so we'll read that together. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for the things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And finally, others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it and produce a crop 30, 60, 
or even a hundred times what was sown. And so when we read that, when I read that parable this time, and I say this time because God's word, you know this, is alive, and you can read the same thing a hundred different times, and, and at some point, the Holy Spirit's going to re- reveal something to you that you need at that moment, at that time, that you never saw before. It's pretty cool when that happens. And so when I read the parable this time, I had this question pop in my head around verse 15. So it says, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. I'm like, wait a minute, that don't sit right with me. What do you mean Satan comes in and takes away the word that was sown in with me? I got to figure that out because when I hear that's my seed that God gave me and I don't want him taking it from me. So what does that mean? So I started digging into this, researching a whole bunch of stuff to figure out exactly what the ways are that he does this. And one of the best strategies that Satan has is distraction. And we've been talking about distraction. That word's come up the last several weeks. And we think about it in a church service. You ever been in a church service and you're hearing a message and you start to ponder how to respond to it? And as soon as the service is over, the enemy comes to try and distract you and bombard you with anything and everything he can to get you to forget, not think about, and put off what you just heard. I have to run this errand and do this chore perform this task and put off responding to what I just heard and in doing so you allow Satan to steal the seed that was just sown. Distraction. Before you know it, you forget what was preached in the first place. Who here remembers what Dan was talking about last week? Don't raise your hand if you remember or don't because if you don't, that's okay. I'm not calling anybody out. We've all been there. We've all been in service before and pastor starts preaching about something from last week, and I have no idea, no recollection what he was talking about. Now, Dan and Emily, if you're listening, of course, that didn't happen here. So everybody that nodded their head, that was at the church that they used to go to, because how could that happen here? But the point is, distraction comes in, and it robs you of what is sown into you through taking your focus and putting it on anything and everything besides what you just heard. Or how about this one? Ever been in church too tired from the night before that you can't focus on what was being preached? unfortunately, but a true story. It was my goal when I first started coming to church to not stay out so late on a Saturday night that I couldn't make it to the 11 o'clock service on a Sunday morning. And I thought if I made it to the 11 o'clock service, I was doing what I was supposed to be. I was doing good. Now, don't get it twisted. If that's you, the Lord's going to meet you where you're at, and he's going to give you what you need in that moment. But for me, I wasn't absorbing everything I could that was being said to me because I was too tired and too foggy from the night before. I'm sure it was a group of intellects gathering around a campfire discussing the complexities of life's existence that kept me up late those nights. But regardless, the point is distraction comes in to rob you. Has Satan ever bombarded you with negative thoughts about the pastor, the preacher, the church, the aesthetics of the building, or anything possible like that to prevent you from hearing what was being spoken? I don't like what he's wearing today. It's Val's fault. She dresses me. I struggle with that mightily. So she picked it out. Her and Elise matched my shoes. I wanted to wear hey dudes. They told me it wouldn't fit. So this is what you get. I don't like what he's wearing. Why'd he use that version of the Bible? The music's too loud. The drums are too loud. The drums are too quiet. The music's too quiet. It's too dark. It's too bright. I don't like his bald head blinding me from the LED lights. And I don't like the color of those lights while we're at it. It's just distractions. The enemy's throwing at you. Just distractions to get you to think about anything other than the word of God being given to you. So distraction is the first way. What's the second way? It's found in verse 16 and 17. Let's call it disaster. Distraction and disaster now. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word at once, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. 
When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away, and this is another tactic. This seed is seed that's received with joy. That person heard the word and responded to it and said, yes, Jesus, I need you. I need you as my savior. That's, that's, that's for me, and received it with joy. Then what happens? The devil just lays down. He's like, all right, I lost another one. Shucks, let me go find somebody else. No, he comes at you with trial, comes at you with persecution. You can try and blow your world up with chaos and make you think that you were better off before Jesus than you are now and make you think that things were easier before Jesus than they are now, and it's just a lie. He may send your close friends or family to you and tell you you're crazy for following Jesus. You may be made fun of or ridiculed. You try and share your newfound faith and joy, and it might get spit on. People might say you're a joke. Dan used the illustration last week. See, I was listening last week. He used this illustration. He was talking about his zeal and his joy of the Lord, and somebody spoke to him and said, yeah, we'll see how it lasts when the honeymoon is over, right? That's a tactic of the enemy. I said the same thing to to Thrive a couple months ago. We were doing a series on identity and went through some foundational things of who they are in Christ and talk about the things they might hear when they share their faith with their circle of influence. Oh, that person goes to church. They think they're better than I am. This person keeps talking about Jesus. They're just judging us. We talked about keeping that foundation, that root, that security in who they are and live out their faith and love and respond in love and don't let the enemy distract you with that and bring disaster on you like that. This illustration isn't just for kids. Obviously, Dan shared his. I didn't come to faith until I was 24 years old. And to this day, I have a friend back home that when I start talking about Jesus and the good things that he did for me, he tries to change the subject. It's so awkward and quiet. He'll try and change the subject Hey, you hear what Jesus did? I'm going to share something that the Lord did for me. Hey, Kevin, I had this sandwich at the news restaurant next time you come down here. Like, that's literally the response that I get sometimes. It's weird. It's weird. I love you if you're listening, man. But with no root, that makes you think you're doing something wrong by speaking about the great things God has done for you. That's the persecution. It can be aggressive or passive aggressive, but it's there. Trial or persecution, disaster comes because of the word. And on rocky soil with no root, That tactic used by the enemy will try and steal your joy, steal your seed, and make you stop sowing. Distraction, disaster. Here's a third one. We're going to call it deceit. I did the 3D thing there, a little alliteration. It worked out this time. Distraction, disaster, deceit. Verse 18 through 19, the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So what's that mean? doing some homework on this one. I heard, I saw it written that, that the enemy doesn't necessarily get this, focus all his attention on distraction and disaster, but here in America, he might focus on this third distraction of deceitfulness of wealth or prosperity. Oh, there's that word, prosperity. Is having things evil? If those things of this world distract you from God, then I would have to answer yes, and here's why. It reminds me of the rich young ruler found in Mark 10, 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, let's not get this one twisted either. Things are not evil. All good things come from God. They're blessings that he lavishes on us. He wants to meet your needs and provide every single need emotionally, physically, tangibly, spiritually, whatever it is he wants to provide that you because he loves you so much. So don't get that wrong. Having things is not the problem. The things distracting us from God, the deceitfulness of wealth, keeping us from spending time with him is the problem and it's a tactic used by the enemy. It's called deceitfulness of wealth because that's not where our joy is to be found. We sing joy to the world, the Lord has come at Christmas time because that's the only source of our joy from which all outward evidence of joy stems from. We can have joy and chaos and peace that makes no sense because of Jesus, not our checkbook. By the way, quick side note, I want to take a break real quick, put that away for a second. The rich young ruler story, when Jesus is teaching, correcting, guiding, notice what he says there, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he gives him this challenging word about something that he knows the rich young ruler is going to struggle with. But first he looked at him and he loved him first. There's always a reason when Jesus says something convicting, it's so that we can be equipped for every good work. I want, to, I want to grab hold of that as a parent because Elisa Keaton aren't here. They're serving somewhere right now. But if you ask them or you can ask Val, uh, I'm an open book up here. It's fine. Like, I'm unfinished. Dad did a, Dan did a series on unfinished. I'm unfinished. But if you ask them if what I'm teaching and correcting and guiding, if I look at them and love them first, if, if, if love is coming out of my face when I'm saying that to them, they might give you a look because that's probably not how it goes down. You're laughing a little too hard, but I know it's true. That's fine. That's fine. I want to grab onto that. God's word's alive. I heard that, and that's for me. Back to the seat, because I can probably go another 45 minutes on how bad of a parent I am, but we're not going there today. Those are the ways the enemy tries to come and steal our seed. Distraction, disaster, deceitfulness of wealth. But now we find the good stuff here. We see the seed sown on good soil in verse 20. They hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So here's where we find the keys to combat the first three attempts the enemy does to steal our seed. First, we must have good soil. What's that mean? That simply means is our heart ready to hear the word of God. The soil, the soil is our heart. You probably know that. Did I ask the Holy Spirit to till up the soil of my heart so the word may fall and produce a spiritual crop? And second, are we ready to accept it? You can have the most fertile ground ever, but if your mind is not ready to accept what is sown, then it will be fruitless. It must be open to the word of God. It must be willing to ponder it, even if it's convicting. I hear that word in Mark 10. Jesus looked and loved, and then he corrected. I hear that convicting. I want to respond to it. Like it's, it's, that's for me. I've got to accept that. Because 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that if you have a Bible, like I used to go to this church and they had us write in our Bibles all the time, I would put a box around the words so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's always a reason, like I said, there's always a reason when we get convicted or we need to be corrected or trained in righteousness so that I can be equipped for every good work. I want to be equipped for every good work God has for me so I better listen to what he's telling me when I hear it. Rebuking, correcting, and training can be challenging because we have a tendency to love sin, love pride, think we don't need to be corrected or rebuked, or maybe we just got a blind spot where the scales need to fall. 
But we have to be open to hearing the word of God to receive it and respond to it so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's another example of what it means to accept it and to receive it. Anytime you hear or read a story in the Bible or a word given, apply it to our situation, add faith, and then receive grace in that area to experience God's provision. I don't know if it's up here or not. Hear the word, accept it, add faith, receive God's grace, and experience his provision. Here's what I mean. Common story. We all know this one. Five loaves, two fish. Jesus multiplies them and does more than we ever thought possible with next to nothing. So when we go back to Mark 4.20, and Jesus says we need to hear the word and accept it, and then we hear the word through the story of the thousands being fed with a little and accept it, and think about applying it to our situation and adding faith to receive God's grace and provision, it just means this. I might not have to feed thousands of people with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish, but I may be in a situation at work where I need God's provision to do immeasurably more with very few resources. So I, I receive this word, I accept it, I apply the concept of God doing more with less to my personal situation, and I pray in faith that in the same way God will intervene and deliver me in my situation at work or my finances or my family or the salvation of my family. I hear the word, I read it, and I take it. You take it for you, you take it for your situation, and and hear it through the lens of how it applies to your need and trust God's going to provide that need. Because we don't need an infinite number of resources when we receive God's word and accept it and pray over a situation in faith for God to do something big. Dan said months ago, see, I listen, I quote him all the time. Dan said months ago, us minus God is nothing, but us plus God is everything. Us plus God is everything. So we can hear the word, accept it, and apply it, and then respond to it. So how can we make sure we're positioning ourselves to hear the word, and what can we do to ensure that it falls on good soil ready to be accepted? Just don't stop going to where seed is being sown. Because if you're here today and you haven't had that moment where it clicked, where it stuck, where it changed your life forever, where the word was heard and you knew with every fiber of your being you needed to respond to the call that God has on your life and sprint for him with a speed that you've never ran before, then you never stop going to where seed is being sown. If you're the first scenario and Satan immediately came in and stole the word with distraction, just go get some more seed. If you're the second scenario and you received the word with joy, but the persecution and ridicule came and your seed was stolen, go get some more seed. If you're the third scenario where the word makes sense, but the deceitfulness of the world stunted your response, just go get some more seed. We got to keep getting that seed. Keep hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So surround yourself with it as much as possible. Remove the distractions. Plow the field of your heart. Prepare the soil. Ask God to help you receive it and accept it and respond to it and allow God to change your heart. Allow God to give you new desires. Allow God to renew your mind. Just allow God in. Just allow God in. How about this? We're in church. We got to punch people that are born again here. So if you have allowed God in and accepted him as your savior and you're the good soil in this parable, got good news for you. Here's the challenge. Don't stop sowing. This series is called Extravagant. Dan's been using the word extravagant. So I'm going to say extravagant sowing. You never know when it's that time where the ground is fertile. Our job as believers is to throw that seed out everywhere and every chance we get. Sow seed on as many grounds as we can because sometimes you don't know. The Holy Spirit went ahead of you and he tilled the ground of somebody's heart. And that heart is simply waiting for you who are thoroughly equipped for every good work to come along and sow some seed. 
We just sow it. You have an abundance in the word of God. You have it hidden in your heart. And it's time to produce that crop 30, 60, or even 100-fold. The harvest is ready, but the workers refuse to look extravagantly and absurdly spread the word of God, the life-giving seed, wherever the circle of influence takes us. You can sow seed. You can sow resource. You can sow time. You can sow so many things to advance the kingdom of God. We're going to talk after service about the big give. We have an opportunity to sow not only resource, but to sow resource that allows God word, God's word to be connected with people. His love and provision to be shared in our community. We need to take advantage of that. Extravagantly sow. And we're going to extravagantly sow extravagant seed. When we sow seed, we don't have to worry about the results either. His word does the work all by itself. Don't believe me? Mark chapter 4 is pretty cool. Check this out. 26 through 29. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Simply put, the gospel message contains its own power. It's extravagant. I don't have to worry about how we package it or how we spread it or how we present it. We just get it out there and let it go to work. It gives me a lot of peace coming up here. I just got to throw it out there and let God do his work. We extravagantly sow extravagant seed. We should expect extravagant results as we, we have extravagant expectation of that. Since we never know when the Holy Spirit has gone ahead of us and prepared some soil, we sow it with extravagant expectation. Check this out, Isaiah fifty five eleven. You probably know this one. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Since his word will not return empty, let's sow it with the expectation that it will fall on fertile ground and connect someone with the Father, connect someone with eternity, with their name written in the book of life. It will provide their answer, their provision, their freedom, their encouragement, their healing, their peace, their wisdom, their discernment, their comfort, and their deliverance. That's what it does. It's powerful, man. Anything they need, it's going to give it to them. Let me just say, I want to read that one more time because that just riled me up when I wrote it. It will connect someone with the Father, with eternity, with their name written in the book of life. It will provide their answer, their provision, their freedom, their encouragement, their healing, their peace, their wisdom, their discernment, their comfort, their deliverance. There's probably a whole bunch more that I couldn't even think of, but it's so good. We wait in extravagant expectation for next week when we celebrate the birth of Jesus and what it meant when the word became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, the extravagant result that came from God dwelling among us. And we know the result it had for us that our Savior coming down from heaven to save us from sin and connect us with eternity couldn't have happened any other way, any other way. And if we know the extravagant result, we must sow with extravagant expectation that his word The word, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will connect the dots when we sow it. Extravagant sowing of extravagant seed with extravagant expectation as we recognize and acknowledge the three ways that he tries to steal that from us and call that right out and plan against it. Extravagant sowing of extravagant seed with extravagant expectation will produce extravagant results. So let's just close in prayer and says, God, just thank you so much for helping us stand guard against the distractions of the enemy and the world. And I pray that you would continue to make fertile our hearts on which your word falls. 
Thank you that it will produce a crop 30, 60, and 100 fold in us. And we can take that and be a light to the world by sharing your message to those we come in contact with. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to live out our faith and be extravagant sowers of the precious, precious word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go, I think we're going to have the QR code for the big give. And again, this is something that we can just put your phone up to. You just scan it. Don't take a picture of it because I did that and Grace made fun of me. Don't take a picture of the QR code. Just scan it. And it'll take you where you can use the drop-down big give. And I promise you, Chris and Michelle that run that facility, I've known Chris for a long time. It's this facility that has a women's section, a men's section, a family section. And when we sow into that, they're going to take every penny and extravagantly stretch it and put it into every nook and cranny that it's needed. It's going to connect someone with tangible things of food and warmth and shelter and clothes, but it's also going to provide them with God's extravagant seed. They give them the word. There's Bible study. There's scripture on the walls. It's that extra thing that they need to know that through whatever emotion they're carrying this Christmas season, being in that situation is beyond something I can describe. Sowing into that connects God's extravagant seed with their need. And I believe it's going to do extravagant results. So we'll just pray over that one last time and then we'll close out of here. So God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to sow into the big give. We thank you that you provide everything we need, physical, emotional, spiritual. You care about us. All your goodness runs after us. And you've been faithful all my life. And we know that you'll be faithful for the rest of our life. And for that, we always praise you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E dot org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac, for upcoming events and information and ways to connect. God bless you and have a beautiful week.